Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. You can have a seat. Well, how are we doing? You look good. Look like a good group. Um, you know, we're, we're in this uh, series just looking at the final week in the Gospel of Mark, final week of Jesus' life. And, and we get to this scene where it's actually, uh, and I'd never kind of, I don't know, I'd never uh, known this before, but as I was studying it, I realized this is uh, the last in Mark, the last public sort of teaching or demonstration that Jesus is making a point publicly. And, and, and you'd think, well, uh, he's going to walk on water. He's going to feed a million people. He's going to raise someone from the dead, you know, and, and he doesn't do any of that. It's kind of an interesting, subtle scene that is his last public scene. I think it's incredibly important. So why don't we act it out a little bit? Um, I need a Jesus. Nicholas, come on, man. Come help me. Let's hear it for Nicholas. Connor's like, thank you for not choosing me. <laughs> Think you can be Jesus? It's a tough tough ask. Come here, come here, come here. <laughs> all you have to do, man, all you have to do is sit in a chair, right? And look at that box right there, okay? Now, some of you are going to be familiar with this, this, uh, this scene. It's where they're in the court of the women in the temple. Um, and this is where there was 13 treasury boxes. Kind of like what you have where you can give your offering, except it was shaped like a ram's horn. And um, people bring their offerings. And some of the really wealthy people bring it in. It was pretty public. You could kind of hear someone computing it and talking about it, right? And Jesus here is just kind of watching, right? Just, just watching. It's all this big giving, all right? All right, now I need, uh, I need a woman. Who's, gonna, who's willing to help me? Oh, come on, Shannon. You could come. You could do it. I, I, this, you got to play a widow. And Ben's sitting right there, so let's just be very grateful. She is not a widow, all right? And hopefully will never be. Um, but now, you're probably familiar with the story, but I'm going to give you this little penny, okay? All right? Now go put that in the offering box, all right? Now, Nicholas, do your job, man. It's one job. you got to watch, okay? Now, this widow puts in what amounts to be a penny, okay? Now, as she does that, everyone else is thinking, oh, my gosh, what a waste, right? You, I want you to give you your best touchdown. No. <laughs> Whew, that was close. Do it again. Ready? I'll hold it this time. Nice, right? Jesus says, not only, right, is that, because in the, in the description, it's lesser, lesser, lesser. She's lesser. But Jesus actually says that she's greater, right? Because she gave, right, out of her need, whereas everyone else was giving out of their abundance, right? And, and really what it's going to come down to is the point is, right, is that she is out of her heart loving God. And, and you know, that we always have, we have God bless the people who, who count after our 11 o'clock and they go in there and they count and they're probably going to look through, they're going to have the bills and the checks and they'll see three pennies from three different gatherings and be like, ah, oh, who put a penny in here, right? And forget, right? It seems inconsequential, right? But if it's given from the heart, it's all God cares about, right? Let's hear it for uh, Nicholas. You want to stay there for the rest of the sermon or? No, no, we're out of here. <laughs> You'd rather be in this seat, right? So here's the question, all right, before I pray. 
Um, And this is not a complicated question, but for me this week, it's been incredibly convicting. So I figured, why do I have to suffer alone? I'm going to have you suffer with me, all right? And it's simply this, do I really love God? Is there evidence that I love God? That simple. Let's pray. Let's pray as we enter into his word. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather as your family for our worship team all weekend leading us in song for our children's and nursery workers downstairs with our kids all weekend and our greeters and our refreshment team and boy just our tech people that can bring us this can be online just all the different people who serve you as we gather so grateful Lord, thank you that we've had the opportunity to sing praises to your name, to, to pray, to fellowship. Lord, I pray that you will meet each and every soul who's here, those who are eager to hear your word right now, and those who are dragged here and would rather it would be quickly over. You are God over all of us, and I pray that you would do your work. And we ask this, Lord, by the name of your great son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name all. God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so um, we are in, as I said, the final week. So uh, if you want to, we'll put it on the screen, but if you want to stay in your Bibles, it's going to be in Mark chapter 12. Uh, Just really quickly, um, Joan Pilling, I went to be with the Lord a few months ago. A lot of you knew knew Joan, knew that already. Uh, But I wanted to let you know, just so there's no confusion, we're doing a celebration of life for her this upcoming Saturday at 10 right here. So those of you who Joan want to celebrate her life, you're welcome to come. There'll be a lunch after too. So, so uh, that's this, this Saturday um, where we can do that. Uh, you know, is, if you were with us last week, we started this series. Uh, it, it marked that last week starts, starts in chapter 11. And we have a reading guide, which some of you have. Is there some, there's a few more, I think, left out there and on our website. It's just simple reading through the week. And, and last week, we had chapter 11, which was Jesus coming into the city, into the temple, right? And it's like all the crowds cheering, Hosanna, right? And then he cleanses the temple, he curses the fig tree, and he means business. And then so if you, you read chapter 12 leading into this weekend, you know that chapter 12 is all about the heated up kind of contentiousness with the Jewish leaders of his day. They didn't like Jesus, but the crowds did, and so they didn't quite know how to deal with it. So they began to try to trap them, right? So you have these different uh, religious groups that don't really like each other all that much, but they have a common enemy in Jesus, right? And, and first you have the Pharisees and the Herodians, which was a political group. They couldn't stand each other, but they teamed up, and they tried to trip Jesus on a question about taxes. And that's when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Give to God what is God's. And then you have the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in the afterlife. So they came in this big stumping question and said, if someone married seven different wives and they died, who are they married to in heaven? Ha ha. And Jesus says, sorry, there's no marriage in heaven, right? And and so we get to this point where we're going to pick up the action where there's this scribe. And a scribe was like a lawyer, but like a religious lawyer, an expert in the Mosaic law. They had taken the law, which is in our Old Testament, right? And they had differentiated it into 613 different commands. Ouch, right? 365 don'ts, one for every, you know, day of the year. 248 do's. And what they would do is try to uh, weigh which ones were more important than others. And the top scholars, the rabbis, would actually talk about what they believed the command that superseded them all. 
right? So that was the, kind of the big thing. If you were, and, and so this scribe, all the other uh, conversations with Jesus have been contentious. This scribe actually means well. This is a friendly interaction. He hears Jesus talking, and he's like, man, I want to know what he has to say about what's the greatest or most uh, important part of the law. And so you see that. He comes up to, to Jesus, and one of the scribes comes up to him, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? And so Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A lot of you have heard that before. They had too. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 in our Bibles. And, and, they, and, and devout Jews were very uh, familiar with this. They would actually recite this in the morning and the evening. It's kind of like maybe for the, for the Christians, the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. And so they were very familiar. And Jesus says, this is the most important commandment. It starts with, the Lord is one. Which to us might not seem like a big deal, although it should. But to them, most religious beliefs, right, were all kinds of gods. You had a god for this, a god for that, an idol for your home, right? And you were all just fractured in, in who you were serving and who you were worshiping. And they, what they said is, no, 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 there is one god. One creator deserving of all of our affection, all of our worship, all of our love, right? And so he says the greatest commandment is that God, right? That God we are to love with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and, and so, you know, I don't think we're meant to take each individual one of those things. I think what, what that command is to say, everything you are to love God. There's going to be times where you have great emotion. Right, your heart, your soul. You're just going to feel a, a love for God. But you're human. There's going to be times where you don't. Right? That's, that's the case for anyone. Right? If you have kids, there's times where you just feel so, oh, I love them so much. And then there's times where they're standing on your last nerve. Right? You still love them. Now it's an act of the will. Right? Now it's, I'm set in my mind. i got to remind myself why I love my kids. Right? Now, I'm not comparing God to your kids. He doesn't get on our last nerve, but there are times where we don't really know what God's doing, right? And we're like kind of confused or we're just not feeling it because we're human. And so what our job is, is this command, is to set our minds on, as Paul said, things that are above. To, to intent and act of the will to say, no, 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 I love God. And then the emotions come again as well. And he says, this is the, the, the command to be an undivided Worship and love to God. But he gives them an extra one, doesn't he? If you're familiar with it, he continues. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There he's actually quoting Leviticus 19.18. So both of these are familiar to them, but he smushes them together. He says these, but really saying it's two sides of the same coin. That to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is going to then overflow into loving your neighbor as yourself. And so for devout, so the devout Jews, they believed your neighbor was another devout Jew. They kind of constricted it, which still can be hard, but a lot easier. Jesus said, no, 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 neighbor. Who's your neighbor? He told a parable about the Samaritans who the Jews hated. And he said, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who comes into your sphere of life. So physically, 
for us online. That includes our neighbor, people we work with, our actual neighbor, right? And so he's saying, so, so the command is to love our neighbor, even those that might bother us, annoy us, frustrate us, look very different than us, believe politically different than us, believe religiously different than us. That's our neighbor. And he says to love them as yourself, because that's the key. It's one thing to just say, oh, yeah, I love them. But what's real love is to say, because think about you. I mean, every one of us, like, for our own uh, sake, we want to be built up and encouraged, right? We don't want to be discouraged. We don't want to be torn down. We want to receive compassion from people, forgiveness when we blow it, graciousness. We want to have warmth in relationships. We want to have all of these things we want for ourselves, and you should. Why not? But what he's saying is when you love your neighbor, you want that for them. You want them to be built up and encouraged, not torn down, like all of those things that you would want for yourself. And your neighbor is even those people that bother you. Even that person this last week who's finally got a 70-degree day, and they said, I'm going to mow the lawn without my shirt off, without my shirt on. You're like, already? It's March, right? That's your neighbor. Maybe your next-door neighbor. Maybe somebody you work with. And so Jesus expands this. Um, and, and so the scribe, I love this. You look at the scribe. He's the whole time he's weighing Jesus' answer. <laughs> you love that? Let me see how Jesus does with this. And he says to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, he intends well. It's good. Most scribes in that day believed to love God meant to bring sacrifices. And so he had really actually thought for himself instead of towing the party line and saying, I I think following God's law is about loving him and your neighbor. And Jesus answered and he's like, I love this answer. And so he's judging Jesus, but all the while (laughs) Jesus is actually weighing him. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love that. Why does he say that? You're not far from the kingdom of God. He sees, this is a friendly interaction. He sees that this scribe, and he wants the truth. I want to really know what, 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 what God wants from me. Jesus meant that is a good place to be. You might be in that place. You're not sure what you believe, but you're not going to let others just kind of brainwash you into what is true. You want to truly know. God, show me, right? And so Jesus says, you're not far. What's he missing? Jesus himself, the key to the kingdom. Wouldn't it be interesting when we're in heaven someday, we'll find out, did that scribe ever come to know and believe in Jesus Christ? Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. But maybe you're there and you're not sure about Jesus yet, but you're, you're willing to let God teach you. You're not far. You just need him, the living Christ. And so as we look at that interaction, there's a lot there. But the question again, let me bring it back to you. I had somebody after the 9 o'clock say, oh, when I, said, I saw that, I was like, oh, boy, bring it on. Because it's a convicting question. Do I love God? Right? I'm not asking you, do you love God perfectly? I don't care how much you're killing it in your Christian life right now. Nobody's perfectly loving God. Okay? So breathe. Understand that. Don't make excuses. 
right? That's not going to help you. Instead, step back and let God, just ask that question, like what areas am I not loving God? Do I love God? Now, um, there's bound to be a few here this morning where you're like, I don't even know if I really know God or, or, or believe in God, and uh, let alone love God, right? And I am so grateful you're here and you're honest. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, 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 and so for you, it might not be this question, but you need to understand the first step. Because we don't ask this question enough. We talk about the first step a, a lot. But um, we don't all often go further and say, okay, do I love God? Well, what is the first step? I think it's best described by the Apostle John in this letter. And if you look at John, he's basically just saying what Jesus just said, right? But he says, he gives us the first step. We love because he first loved us. So critical. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he's saying that, right? True, actual love for God is going to spill out into love for brother. But he but he, but he's first uh, say, gives us the first step. We love because he first loved us. It's like, and I know I love to do the classic water example, um, but imagine, right, this, this glass. It's got a little bit of water from last service, but other than that, it's empty, right? And if this was you, all right, this is your life, and I said, come on, get out there and start loving God and start loving your neighbor, Right? You got nothing. How are you going to do that? It doesn't start with mustering up strength and love within yourself. What, what John teaches us, right, is that it starts with understanding he loved you first. Okay, now you have love to give back because he loved you first. So maybe that's what you have to saturate in this morning to understand, to truly grasp how much God loves you. You know, that, that he created you. with a, This is like shocking with what you hear in the world, right? So many people think they're purposeless. God knows every hair in your head. He stamped his image on you, on you. He knows every second of your past, present, and future, right? He has eternal purpose for you, and yet, you, me, all of us, we went down a path of selfishness and sinfulness and darkness. Paul said, our God, our, our God becomes our belly, right? What satisfies me? That's what I want, right? So, so we have this God who loves us, and we ran from him, and yet what do we learn is that he didn't just go, well, I hope he comes back. He came and rescued us while we were enemies, that, 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 that when we look at the cross, the blood shed there was this God's love for you. The crown of thorns is God's love for you. The nails is God's love for you. The wrath uh, of God in that darkness that Jesus took in your place is a huge love letter, right? It says God loves you, right? So that's why the gospel is critical. You're not going to be able to love God and your neighbor unless you understand how much God loves you. And that's what happens, right? As, as, you, as you saturate in the gospel, see how that water, it rises, in, it rises vertically, and it's, it's without division. It's just going up. The more you understand what God's done for you, the more you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But 
right? Then what happens is as you continue to saturate in that, what happens? You begin to spill out laterally, and you begin to love your neighbors yourself. That's how it works. You're not going to be able to do it without love, understanding his love first, learning to love him, and then you're going to love others. Don't try to get it backwards. And so the question, again, do I love God, is not do I love God perfectly, right? I, I say unequivocally to you right here, I love my wife. I do. And there's many times where you say, oh, it's clear that you do. But there will be times you see, be like, eh, that wasn't very loving, right? Am I the only one here? The rest of you guys, perfect spouses that are married? Right? But, but that doesn't mean I don't love her, but there's just things I need to reset and just say, wow, wow, that's, that's not loving. I need to, right? And so we, we do the same for God. We can, we can, so I'm not saying, do you do it perfectly? But it's a beautiful question. Like God just, am I really loving God? Um, what, what, what Jesus teaches us is that's going to mean an undivided heart towards God, right? Do I love God with an undivided heart towards him? So when you wake up in the morning and, and you say, what's my purpose? I know some of you are like, I don't say that. <laughs> my purpose is to figure out how to make coffee this morning, and uh, that's about it. And in all seriousness, some of you have so much anxiety because you don't know your purpose. You just know you got to live life. So you just kind of go, all right, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go back to bed, I'm going to wake up and do that, right? And then you're like, what's, what's, honestly, what is my purpose? And then others of us get incredible anxiety because we're divided. You wake up and you're like, I got to be the best in my career, I got to be my best uh, husband, father, student, athlete, whatever it is, and all these different things, and we get frustrated because the results aren't there, right? And, and so God is somewhere in there, but I want to ask you, seriously ask you, how freeing, how simply freeing it would be if we woke up in the morning and just said, my purpose today is to love God. That's it. And you'd say, I don't go to my job? Of course you do. I don't get the kids up. I don't do that with the grandkids. I don't do like at school or on campus. Of course you do. God has those things in your life. But you do those things out of your love for God. And when you do that, you stop so worrying about results, how people are reacting, this and that, that you think you can control, you can't. All you can control is not the results, but the process of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's freeing. And that's how you can start loving others, because you're like, I'm not in control of how you react. Right? You know, when I was, um, uh, before um, I became an associate pastor here, years ago now, I worked in college admissions at Bentley, now university, it was college then. Um, and and I worked there five years. So my fourth year, I didn't have the greatest year. My bosses sat me down and were like, I had not the best attitude. And honestly, because I felt like they weren't valuing what I brought to the team. I was probably young and stupid, I'm just being honest. But that's how I felt. I felt like I was being passed over for this. I felt like I, was, I shouldn't be doing that project. I should, right? That's kind of how I felt. Like I'm just kind of spinning my wheels. And, and it was seeping out into my attitude. Okay? It was right about then that the elders... Started taught at the church. Started talking to me about full-time ministry as an associate pastor, and if you know anything about how things happen in churches, 
things move at a slow pace, right? And so it took about a year for that whole process to play out. But the whole year, my eyes were fixed on, I can't wait, I'm going to be in ministry. I still worked at Bentley, right? And, and when I finally resigned, my bosses were so disappointed I'd had the best year yet. You know why? I still worked hard. I still did whatever they asked me, and I didn't really care that much. I'll do that. I'll do that. You know why? Because I wasn't focused on what I should have and the results of my job. I was focused on the ministry that God was calling me to. In the same way, if you simplify it and say, I'm going to love God. So what does that mean right now with my child or with my coworker or with that annoying person on the bus or with, you know, that person online who I really want to scream at with my, you know, keyboard? What does that mean if I'm loving God? Because then you stop worrying about results. That still becomes an issue for me. I am an incredibly competitive person. I love to win. Rumor has it that the first night in the hospital, in the nursery, I had a competition with the baby next to me. Who could scream the loudest and the longest? They thought I was a bad baby. I just wanted to win, right? And I think God wired me that way because, honestly, I'm called right now to the greatest competition, which we know, by the way, the victory is already secure in Christ. But we are fighting darkness, and I love it. And every baptism last weekend was a punch to the enemy's stomach, right? And I love that. Yet, my weakness comes in because I'm competitive. I want everything to win. I want everything to be the best. I want, and I can't control most of those things. And so I can get frustrated, right? But how freeing to just say, I work hard, but I love God. I love God. How am I going to interact with you? Love God. With all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so now, right, it, it's, it's no longer about uh, what you can control, but it's just about I want to love God. Do you think it could be that easy? I think it can. That's why it's the greatest commandment. So it's with an undivided heart towards God, but it's also, you know, that, that overflowing heart towards others. You know, none of us are, are uh, perfect in that either. Unless you, anyone here perfectly treating other people, right? Neighbor as yourself. Just want to make sure nobody's um, not paying attention. None of us are. We all have selfish moments. We all have, uh, even if we're doing pretty well, there's, it's just, man, we're in the already not yet. We're in a battle with our flesh. It's going to be hard at times. And yet, if you're just trying to gut out being nice to people, that's not going to work. You've got to start with knowing God's love, love him, and it will overflow. <clears throat> we, um, we talked last week about Jim Babineau, who uh, we did his, his celebration of life this past week. Jim, um, he died of cancer. He was in his 80s. And I knew him only as an older guy, but I got a chance to hear stories about his life. And it was fascinating. He was given up by his parents at a very early age. His parents didn't die. They gave him up. And he spent a lot of hard years in foster homes, enduring I don't even know what. Now, that can make someone pretty hard-hearted, right? Pretty bitter. He grew up to know Jesus, and he and his wife, they would take foster kids in all the time. And he would tell them, give me the ones nobody else wants. I want everyone to know they matter. 
They matter. And, and as, as his family were saying goodbye to him, and they were saying, thank you, Dad, for being an awesome dad. Thank you, Grandpa. And, and he would say, he had this classic line, everyone knew it, don't thank me, thank Jesus. Don't thank me, thank Jesus. That is exactly what we're talking about. To know the love of Christ, to love God so much that now, despite the things that have happened to you, to want to spread that love to others. So maybe it's someone that bothers you. Maybe it's someone that you don't quite understand. It's okay, right? Because God rescued you. You're free to love that person where they're at. And if they don't react the right way, it's not up to you. It's between them and God. So how are we doing? Loving God and overflowing that love towards others. I spent 90% of our time, don't compute that, but I, I think that's about it, right, on that. <clears throat> but I want us to end with looking at just two examples, one bad, one good, on loving in, in this chapter that, that we have for our reading this week. And the first is an example of pretend love for God. What we might call hollow. I've told this story before and I feel bad because I was just a stupid teenager and, you know, but my parents, you know, my mom, I'm sure, uh, got us for Easter, you know, a little basket and they did with what, what they could and I love a good chocolate bunny. Anyone else? Anyone else? Some of you are hungry. I can, I can see it, right? A good and like I'll get that, that's really good chocolate and I can just, oh, a leg. Oh, sorry, I lost my... You know, eating it. And, and, and so, man, I love a good chocolate. But when I was a kid, we, we could get these, but I don't even know if they make these anymore. But, like, you'd get it and it looked great, and you'd take one bite and it was hollow. And it would just go. Anyone else? They make those anymore? They were cruel to children. I, I doubt they do. And, and it was just so, like, and I'm, you know, I was so, my poor parents, right? Um, and, and, and yet, that's sometimes what we can be, you know? Like, I love God. But I want to know, is it hollow, right? And a supreme example, and I don't think, I hope, this is no one here, but I don't want us to anywhere be near here of what Jesus described of the scribes. It says this, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk along, uh, around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will, this is Jesus now, receive the greater condemnation. He's not pleased. He's not, and he's still not. He's still not. You know, religion has always been big business. And if you have been the victim of somebody in the name of Jesus manipulating you to get something from you, I am sorry. Please don't blame Jesus for that. You hear his words. They will receive condemnation. They're all over the place. Still today. Big business. Give me. Making rich off of people because of what you say or preach or pray. Ugh. That's hollow. This is what they, they would have looked like. And the scribes, they, they walked around. And if you were in the streets, unless you were actually actively doing something where you couldn't, you would just stand up and respect them. You invited them. They would sit at the right or the left of the host. They, they got in, in the synagogues, which is like their churches. They sat on benches facing the congregation. Most of the congregation sat on the floor. Right? And, and they, would, they would pray. These prayers are so great that it got even the widows right, to leave them, sometimes all of their money, 
And it was just this idea of manipulating in the name of God and their supposed love for God. That's hollow. We don't want anything like that, right? That, that they should have instead got down with the people, prayed for the widow, not taken advantage of. Still happens today, and we can still do it. Whether it's hiding behind our religious clothing, and I remember last week our big Bibles, or our doing great, right? Not admitting when we're hurting, not admitting when we don't have, right? And, 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 and we can be hollow. I'm just pleading with you not to be hollow. Be known. Be honest. None of us are there yet. It's okay. It's okay. And so we end where we began, an example of a true love for God. We won't make you guys act it out anymore. Don't worry, Nicholas. And he sat down opposite the treasure and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him, last public thing. And he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and put everything she had, all she had to live on. She knew the love of God, and so therefore she gave out of her need. I don't think Jesus is teaching us you've got to give everything away, right? But what he's saying is actual love for God will cost you something. And that makes sense. Anyone in your life who you love, it costs you something. Come on, parents. You know you've asked the question, if we didn't have these kids, how much money would we have in our bank account right now? <laughs> right? We've all said it, right? But you maybe not change things, right? And, and, and because you love them, it costs you something. Not just in money, time, attention, right? All a risk. When you love someone, there's always a risk to it. It costs you something. If you're just giving out of your abundance, it's not costing you anything. And so, so when we ask this, this question, this is where we're, where we're landing on, right? Do I love God? Is it hollow or is it legit? Is it hollow or is it legit? Here's the beautiful thing. It's not my job to measure whether or not you're loving God enough. I'm not going to sit down and say, well, how much do you? Okay, wait a minute. Because how would I know? One penny for you could be an amazing sacrifice. It could, right? And, and, and one second of your time might be. I don't know, but you and God need to figure that out. Do I love God? Does it cost me something? Is there an undivided heart? Do I wake up and just say, man, I want to love God today? And the best measuring stick is how I'm interacting with my neighbor because it will spill out. Otherwise, I'm just a liar saying, like the scribe, I love God, but not my neighbor. We want to be a people who very simply, with all that we can, love God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I want to pray for you. Just ask for you to pray for each other. <coughs> and for me, it's a beautiful thing to, to ask our, our God to just show us where we where we need. Lord, I, I pray that for my fellow believers in this room and who are online with us as well, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for the areas of their life. They're loving you well. Thank you, God. Thank you for the many examples we have here. 
But Lord, I pray for where we feel conviction, that we would just feel the freeing beauty of your forgiveness and graciousness, that we would just confess it before you, and we would just get back up and know it's a new day. Lord, would you just remind us every day, multiple times a day, in this situation, how do I just simply love you? How do I love you? Lord, I pray for those who maybe came into this room not knowing the love that you had for them, the radical love of the cross of Christ. Would you open their heart and faith to believing for the first time that they would know, oh God, this world has nothing for them, but you, Jesus, saved them. Give them the strength to follow you. Pray bless our families, our singles. Pray bless our marriages in this room. Pray bless those who are sick, those who are lonely, those who are struggling. May they feel your presence in an extra special way. You are worthy, O oh God. A God who saves, a God who creates, a God who loves. You're worthy of our love, undivided love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing out of our love for God.